Glenmary Ecumenical Commission podcast. GEC is a ministry of Glenmary Home Missioners, which seeks to enhance understanding, reduce alienation, and foster reconciliation between Catholics and evangelicals. My name is Nathan Smith. I'm the director of Catholic Evangelical Relations with Glenmary Home Missioners, and I'm joined today by Father Frank Ruff. Father Frank, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Father Frank has been a part of Glen Mary since the 60s, and he's really instrumental in getting uh, this movement of ecumenism in a formal way set up through Glen Mary in order to uh, deepen relationships with evangelicals, uh, especially in that time, uh, deepening relationships with the Southern Baptist Convention. And so, Father Frank, just to get us started, would you explain just where we are? What is our setting here? Uh, who's joining us on the call today? Okay. Well, we're in uh, southwestern Kentucky in a r- very rural area, beautiful farm country. <clears throat> but I'm in a small house on a beautiful piece of property, and uh, <clears throat> I chose this place to rent. It's owned by uh, an old order Amish family, and <clears throat> they're my closest neighbors. And um, I rented the place because it had a wonderful place for a garden. And uh, gardens are wonderful. It also had a field that next to it that I could rent that had place for, uh, for sheep and goats. And without any kind of limitations, there are about 25 chickens running around this place. They, they stay within about a 40-acre patch. <laughs> <laughs> go across the road and go to the Black Baptist Church right across the road and, and all around. It's good to see they're faithful. <laughs> but, but, they give, uh, but they give me lots of eggs that I can share in the neighborhood. And then directly outside of the window is a bird feeder, and that uh, draws all kinds of birds this, times of year, this time of year. And it's fun to, as I'm sitting at the desk, to take a little bit of time and <laughs> enjoy them and watch them and uh, participate with them. Mm. Well, that's great. And just to good for us to have a good setting here in order for people to know, as they might have just heard a, a crow in the back there, <laughs> yeah. a rooster in the back. <laughs> so we have, um, we're in a, a setting in which um, exhibits the connectivity one to another. And I experience that, especially when I'm in the garden or in flower gardens mm. or even when I'm potting plants in the house. When my hands are connected with the soil, Somehow or other, I experience connectedness to God. And that's so refreshing and so fulfilling and giving me so much peace. And then also, and I didn't expect this, honestly, I feel connected to everybody else who walks on this earth, Mm. on this planet. Mm -hmm. I share this place with them. And and being connected with them is just a good, it's a good feeling. So I'm not alone out here. I mean, I, I live alone. Uh, but I don't have many visitors, but I don't, uh, I'm not alone. Mm, that's, that's wonderful. And so piggybacking off that idea, that connectivity one to the other, would you just tell us about your first experience of ecumenism with somebody outside of the Catholic Church? Obviously you became a priest in the 60s, a time of big change for the Catholic Church and big change for you in this time as well, I'm sure. It certainly was a big change for me. <clears throat> I, I came out of a German Catholic and Lutheran community up in northern Wisconsin. And as my brother said, we got along well. We were right and they were wrong, and <laughs> and we never talked. <laughs> That's where I came from. Uh, it was in 1963 in, in September that I went to Dahlonega, Georgia, 
And the pastor <clears throat> told me my job was going to be to start a new church <clears throat> in the neighboring county. Well, <clears throat> he first, he had, just, he had just bought a church there and refurbished it, and they were having the, the um, <clears throat> dedication. And so he told me, asked me to go down to the Dahlonega Baptist Church and to invite them to come one Sunday morning. I had never been in a Baptist church in my life. I thought, should I go in front? That'll be kind of bold. Should I go in back? That'll look like I'm not there. You know, where, where should I sit? What should I do? All that uneasiness when we first connect with somebody that we don't know. Um, so what happened, I got in touch with a Presbyterian pastor. He and the local Catholic pastor were, were um, chaplains for the U.S. Army Ranger mountaineering section. They'd go out together to the camp and have, have uh, services. Or, and uh, I didn't even know what the occasion was, but I know this one week, we spent many hours driving together, going to different places. I, I don't know what we were doing, <clears throat> but we were spending several hours a day and all five days of the week mm. And what I found us doing is I would be asking him questions about the Presbyterian Church, what they what they believed, how they worshipped, why their why their sanctuary was set up the way it was, all the all kinds of questions. And he asked, was asking me, and it was such a good experience, just knowing a brother that believed the same as I did who believed in Jesus as the center of his life. And, uh, you know, I just had never had that experience with a Protestant of any kind before. And so then what I did after that, I went to the Methodist church and I said, look, I don't know much about Methodism. I know that Wesley is involved somehow or other, but... Um, Give me a book on Wesley and on the Methodist Church that I can learn about it. See, in the Catholic seminary, I was trained to be a good priest of the 1950s, well-educated. But they didn't, we, did, we were not taught anything about other churches. They were just other. <clears throat> and so I was really at a loss. And that was, that was very good. And he developed a close relationship with that pastor. So I went to the Baptist College in Cleveland, Georgia. And I said, I'm here. Give me, give me a book on Baptists so that I can understand better. So at first, it didn't. It was not very successful. And I was, uh, I was pretty, uh, uh, pretty ignorant, but learning a lot. And then in the spring after I got there, uh, probably in February, March, three other ministers called me and said, asked me for breakfast. <clears throat> and they were also chaplains at this state university, Dahlonega, North Georgia College, and um, small college, military college. <clears throat> but uh, they said, now that you're here, you need to know that during the summer, we stop our regular our regular uh, group uh, meetings. The college is too small. There are so few, so few students here. <clears throat> so what we do is we, we disband them for the summer and we meet together. And that was a brand new experience. <clears throat> Baptist 
Methodist and Presbyterian and Catholic. Uh, and honestly, that opened the door for me, well, I'll tell you in a minute, but actually to a conversion. Um, I got to meet a lot of the speakers, that they, all of the speakers that they brought in, and sometimes there'd be other guests. And one time, the student president of the Baptist Student Union in, um, in South, from South Carolina was there, and uh, we got to talk, and she said, you know, now that we're talking about this, she said, I'm president of the BSU. We have some Catholics on campus, but I don't, there's no ministry to them at all. Why don't you come over and talk to the BSU and figure out what, what we could possibly do? <clears throat> what happened was this. I, I even stopped on the way over to finish the last few pages on the decree on ecumenism that had come out in November of, of uh, 64. This was in the early spring of 65 that I was over there. And uh, we started, I started explaining what the Catholic Church was, and they were asking questions. You know, how do you, how do you express this? What does this mean? Does this, what happens there? How do you pray? What, kind of, what happens when you, when you get distracted? And all kinds of really personal questions. But it was so good. We started at 6, and they had their regular half-hour business meeting, you know, that all you, groups have, half-hour business and half-hour program. When we got to 7 o'clock, there was no interest in anybody leaving. Nobody wanted to stop. So we just kept sharing. We just kept sharing, asking each other questions and explaining. At 9 o'clock, the uh, security guard came in and said, lights out in five minutes, everybody out, the building is locked. And so one of the students said, hey, the, li the library is open. So we all went up to the library. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it kept doing the same thing until 11 o'clock. Then the librarian said, five minutes, lights out. <laughs> and so then I went to the men's dorm. I was staying there overnight. I went with them, and we just sat up and talked mm -hmm. half the night. Mm -hmm. And in the morning, when I got up, I said to myself, Frank, you're different. You've been changed you used to see these people as other. They're not other. They're part of your family. Mm. We're all one in Jesus. Mm. They love and believe in Jesus just like I do. We just didn't know each other. Mm -hmm. Then a little while later, as you made mention, the, in the 60s, the Vatican Council, it was a, a time when the church, all the bishops from the whole world came together, about 20. 2,000, 2,500 of them. They met over a period of four years, like in the fall of each year of the four years, and they, they re-thought and re-imaged uh, how, we, how we live. Mm. And so they published, they published uh, what they called a, a decree on ecumenism, one of 16 documents, one with the Jews and one with, with relating to the world and one on the church and various things like that. Um, but the one on, on ecumenism, on unity with others, I didn't even catch it quite when I the meaning, the significance of it when I first uh, when I first read it. But they said, right, they opened it up with saying, unity 
with other Christians is one of the primary reasons why this council was called. Hmm. So the whole purpose was to bring all of us Christians, all of us people who would commit our lives, who have committed our lives to Jesus, hmm. who belong to the same one body of Christ, that it was to take, that we would start taking steps like other churches have in the past before us, took steps that we would, that we would start working together. Well, after that, after that uh, uh, meeting over in South Carolina, I started getting more involved in, in, in ecumenism. And one time in Dahlonega, that same city where I first started, um, the dean of the Candler School of Theology in Atlanta spoke to the, in the Methodist Church, but for, it was a community meeting, I can't remember, dear man, but I can't remember his name. My, my memory just isn't that good. But he came, and my parents from up in Wisconsin, who didn't have anything to do with another church, they came, and they were a little bit concerned about my working with other churches the way I did, visiting them, worshiping with them, and all of those things. It was just a little bit, a little bit beyond what they were open to at the time. But um, he spoke. He had been invited to be an official observer at the, at the Second Vatican Council. As I said, there were about uh, 2,000 to 2,500 bishops and about 1,000 official worship, uh, of, of, excuse me, official observers from other churches. And he was one of those. And so he told us what had happened. He told us about the spirit of it. And my parents did a 180. They just were very happy with anything that I would do with regard to ecumenism because they could see that if Jesus prayed for unity and if our church wants unity uh, and, and we were united at one time and we just got divorced, got split up, and, and now we're, we're on a process of coming together, mm-hmm. of unity, of finding unity mm-hmm. because, because of how much we believe together. Mm-hmm. That's a significant thing. Yeah, and it seems like the Vatican Council really recognized that and recognized the desire, Jesus' desire for unity. And you mentioned the, the decree on ecumenism, and it seems like your experience of this document, this opening of the, of the church and the Catholic Church in some ways, is also being received at the same time of you're being opened yourself, that time of conversion to other people. Could you maybe just share some some points from the decree on ecumenism that really stuck out to you that you found embodied in your experience of ecumenism? Well, I've obviously gone through the decree a a fair number of times, and uh, it was really... It was really a deepening of that original experience. When, when they made the statement, in paragraph one, uh, they, uh, they wrote, division within Christianity, division openly contradicts the will of Christ. He had prayed for unity. This is obviously, we're, we're separated, we're divided. Division openly contradicts the will of Christ it scandalizes the world, so it, um, it contradicts the will of Christ. And to me, anything that contradicts the will of Christ, that's pretty close to what we call sin. <laughs> you know. 
sin is, is not following Jesus. So we're not following Jesus, we're scandalizing the world, and we're hurting the cause of spreading the gospel. As Jesus said, remember, our, our un, your unity among yourselves will be the sign that I really came from the Father mm-hmm. so, that they, so that the world might believe. And we're hurting, we're hurting that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I have heard, uh, I've had learned a lot. And what I think the key is, for me, I'm just speaking for myself, but what the key is, is, is not to learn it in the head, like I learned some other some other things, sometimes to pass a test when I was in school or whatever, yes. but that it's it's real learning that I take it in and make it mine, that that I, I accept that I believe it and I follow it the best I can whenever I can. that was really <laughs> worked out so beautifully. It was a small town. Cleveland, Georgia at the time was a very small town. And, um, but I had gotten pretty close to the, to the Methodist pastor. And we trusted each other. Uh, and he said, how about our putting on a, uh, having a youth program all summer? Because the youth here don't have much to do and there's nothing in the, the city doesn't provide anything. Uh, and I said, okay. And, and through my Catholic connections, I figured I could find a director someplace. So I, he said, I'll, I'll furnish the buildings. You furnish the director. And then together we made the decision that if this is going to work, it has to be a, a Baptist student who's going to be the president <laughs> of the organization. Um, so that's what we did. And I found this young woman. She was a, a senior at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, and she was studying uh, outdoor recreation, <laughs> you know, which is perfect for for running a a, a camp, or a, it was a, it was a five day a week operation, all day. Uh, one of the local women offered to volunteer to be the chaperone, <clears throat> and um, it was it was so good for me. Because we were segregated. This was like 1967. Mm. And, you know, Georgia was not very... The schools were segregated. It was... But to walk into that center and to see black kids playing pool with white kids and playing ping pong and and just intermingling, Mm. it was really like Jesus' work. What's so interesting about this is these, these... Ministries and these deepening of relationships is really coming out of an imagination that you have of ecumenism, of a, of a oneness because of our love with Jesus. And I, I think that's so interesting to see how that ministry expands in that way. And to, to, to fast forward a little bit from, as you're describing, within the 60s and Vatican Council and in the, in the 90s, Pope John Paul II put out a document, really just an encyclical 
reaffirming uh, Catholic uh, commitment to ecumenism. And within it, he uses really interesting language. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it's to the point that when you do ecumenical work, it's not simply a mutual exchange of ideas, as, as you're pointing out, but an exchange of gifts one to the other. And so just from your own experience, your own stories, and I know you're familiar with that encyclical, what are some gifts that you think you have received from the evangelicals and Pentecostals that you've been able to uh, deepen in, in friendship and relationship with? <clears throat> Nathan, they are, they are multiple. <clears throat> I was so impressed one time when, I can't even remember which town I was in, pastoring. It was, it was back uh, some distance, obviously. <clears throat> but the pastor, the Baptist pastor left and so they went maybe six months or so with an interim pastor. <clears throat> and in the Catholic Church, what I had experienced <clears throat> is that if you don't have that leadership from the top, you don't have anything. You don't, you, the elephant doesn't move. But that church grew when there was no pastor. The lay people of that congregation took so much responsibility that they were still bringing in members on their own. And I thought, holy fright, that's, that's a family working. <clears throat> and, and family, I don't, don't want to <clears throat> emphasize it too much, but I think it's key, the concept using the image of family. This, the Second Vatican Council <clears throat> said, we can honestly call ourselves sisters and brothers in Jesus of one another. Well, I observe families a lot. I don't have one as a Catholic priest. I'm not married. But I observe families a lot. And families always do better when they work together. They do better when they're, when they're, when they're working towards unity. One of the saddest things I run into is sometimes after a funeral, the adult children will just kind of break away. And... Uh, and they'll say, after a few years, I'm, I'm just not in touch with him anymore. I mean, that, that's just so, it hurts me so much to hear that because they've lost the concept of family. Uh, they've lost the meaning of family. Works, a family is stronger when it works together. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's what I saw in this Baptist church of, of the churches working, of the congregation working together, continuing the, the congregational life, continuing to bring people in, continuing to grow in Christ. But that's, that's one thing I learned. I've learned that who I am is not a member of a church as much as it is a person who knows they're loved by Jesus and is willing to dedicate his, my life to serving that Jesus, to following that Jesus, to imitate that Jesus, to live. And it, and it affects, I, I just know it affects my preaching. Mm. Uh, most, many times when you hear Catholic priests teaching, they talk about uh, what Christ did for us uh, and, and uh, imitating Christ. In fact, there's even that ancient uh, book, mm -hmm. The Imitation of mm -hmm. Christ. But, and that's okay. That's good. It's just not so personal. Hmm. Jesus is the name of a person. 
Christ is the name of his job, hmm. the Messiah. Uh, and so using that, that personal kind, having that personal kind of relationship is just so, it makes my faith more alive and well, obviously more personal, and and I want to share that with the with the Catholic folks. It's what we say is not wrong; it's just not as personal as it could have been. I believe Pope Francis has pointed out the importance of us within our various uh, communities and as Christians, just simply operating as if we have this deep unity that Jesus is longing for. And we'll continue to work out the details as we go. And I hear you saying that in your, all these stories, and I believe that's uh, an example of spiritual ecumenism, which is something that's pointed out in the Decree on Ecumenism from the Second Vatican Council. If you could just maybe uh, give a brief idea, a brief definition of what spiritual ecumenism is, and for anybody listening to this time we're having together who's wanting to, to move into this deepening of Christian fellowship with another Christian person, what advice would you give them from this? Well, just first, and the, the meaning, I can't say that I'm an expert on that. But what I understand it to be is learning a new form of thinking. Uh, the spiritual activity of, of, of connecting with God, but recognizing that you're not connecting as an individual, you're connecting as, as a group. And I find among Catholic priests, and a lot, I guess, among Protestant ministers too, but uh, that uh, they don't expect to find unity there with the other with the other pastors. They go to meetings, but as as I've read, uh, ministerial associations have a difficult time because there's always so much underlying competition there. Uh, and, you know, that's not family. Uh, so that, that uh, changing the attitude, if we could get, if we could change our attitudes, then our actions would follow almost, almost immediately, I think. Uh, change of heart, as, uh, as Pope Francis likes to talk about, and, uh, and praying for one another. I learned that beautifully from a Baptist pastor down in Tennessee. We were giving a workshop together on Baptist-Catholic relations in East Tennessee. And as we were leaving, he said, can we stop just a minute and pray for the, for the uh, people of this church and the pastor of this church? He said, I try to do that when I pass churches, whenever I pass churches, to, to pray for the Pray for the pastor and the people. And <clears throat> I've not developed that. What I do do, uh, because I, I live in a small county, there are just 86 churches in the county. And um, I, uh, at night, <clears throat> I'll pray for one church and ask God to bless the pastor and the, and, <clears throat> and, the, and the people. And Honestly, that changes me, and I hope, I sure hope, I believe it changes them because I'm praying for them. And, and I know most of them because whenever, uh, when, the, uh, daily, when the weekly paper would come out, this is counted just as a weekly paper, not, a, not even a daily paper, uh, it would give the schedule for revivals and special festivities at churches, 
I was pastor, so I couldn't. I wasn't free on Sunday morning. <clears throat> but if I, <clears throat> I would just take the the uh, newspaper, ch- uh, look at my calendar, and see whatever night I was free that week, and I would just put that put the church in, and and go and visit and, and pray with them, and that really it changes me, and it also it also connects me more with them because I realize over and over and over again how much we have in common. We somehow or other assume that because we go to different buildings to worship, we think we don't have anything in common with them. But if we focus, spend our our time not thinking about the differences to begin with, but think about what we have alike that that thought just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing because we have so much in common. Yeah, yeah and I hear you also saying like this, this common faith and this, uh, even to maybe expand upon that, but a common love for Jesus that we share with evangelicals to Catholics, Catholics to evangelicals. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, the better we live... As an evangelical, the better Catholic we are. Mm-hmm. The better, cath- better uh, we live as a Catholic following Jesus, the better evangelical we are. Mm-hmm. Because we really, we, t- we really are one. Anybody who believes in Jesus and is baptized, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, they're one body. Mm-hmm. One body. <laughs> uh, so we are, already, we are already one. We just have a hard time saying it and and we have a hard time living it because we we kind of expect that they're different uh, mm. but but we're really not yeah and being invited to change that expectation away from competition and fear to yeah. a place of relationality and nearness and in our shared love for this Jesus Christ absolutely absolutely uh, I once saw a friend of mine uh, discovered the other, uh, other parts of his family they didn't know existed and the joy that they were experiencing. Mm. Now, they were probably different from each other because they had grown up in different parts of the country. and <clears throat> But the joy that they had in finding the other parts of the family, mm. that's, what we can, that's the kind of thing we can experience. Absolutely. Joy in finding other parts of the family who are as committed as I am. Hmm. That's enough. Well, Father, <laughs> <laughs> it's been a joy to spend this evening with you. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us on the Glen Mary Ecumenical Commission podcast. Thank you.